Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the CMPU, in association with 898 Authentic Rock and Roll, proudly present the ultimate catalog collection. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who once slashed the tyres on a gold Volkswagen Scirocco because the driver knocked him off his bike and drove away. It's Kevin Brown. How about that one, Corey? That's the intro you from Rehulstapa, where I get all from my crazy... Gazootay. <laughs> which is Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast, which is where I get all my amazing emergency questions on the Seaside Pod Review. Oh, yes. Yeah, you, you had a great one uh, a couple of weeks back. Uh, something about chocolate bars and uh, <laughs> anal cavities. I, I thought I would cheat, and I asked if a junior mint was eligible, and I was told by one of our <laughs> listeners it absolutely was not. So, <laughs> Oh, good Lord. But that's not Seaside Pod View. It's not um, And the Podcast Will Rock. It's not one of the other many podcasts that we both do. This is the Ultimate Catalog Clash, where myself and Corey take on the discography of one artist per season to find out which record will be adjudicated by us as the best album. And Corey and, also, oh no, Corey and I also have a side bet each season to find out who gets to pick the next artist or band. Um, and on the season wrap episode, we will be joined by the sexiest man in podcasting, or rock and roll podcasting you own with now, right? You've, you've, you've yeah, narrowed I, it down. You know what? I, I could maybe do all podcasting, but, you know, we have Joe Rogan, uh, I guess. He, he's he's easy on the eyes, uh, so the ladies tell oh, me. Oh, man, I tell you. I know you're a fan. To talk talk about ways to put me off masturbating forever. That that, that guy's the the, the pinup board for it. So, but each episode well, we'll see us review the songs on one side of an album, awarding ten points for music, ten for lyrics, and five for production at the end of each episode. Corey and I will have a score of twenty five to award of that side of the album. And once we've done both sides, we have a combined score of hundred. Once we have all the albums rated, we'll know which one comes out on top. However, we're always discounting the most famous or most um, successful uh, album in the artist catalog now. We should say that we are currently doing uh, Phil Collins. I said Prince Collins then almost. Phil Collins Ooh. era Genesis, and we're on the last album. But luckily, it's a double album, so we're doing four episodes instead of two. In which case, Corey and I decided that we will do side A and side B, and then average out those scores for the first side, side C and side D, average those out, and that's our final score. So, Corey, you are back podcasting after a very, very busy weekend. How are you holding up? Yeah, I took a little break. Uh, well, the Van Halen show, we did a big live show. And that gave us enough material for two weeks. So we had two weeks banked up for that. Um, my other show with John is kind of on hiatus. I'm not sure what's happening with that one. So I didn't have to worry about that one. And I just had to worry about that, you know, skeevy little bugger, Scott Haskin, bugging me every Tuesday to record about Aerosmith. Very excited to come on our show, by the way. I tried needling him because he's our judge to see, yeah. okay, you know, you want to tell me what Kevin, uh, what, what was his grade on Invisible Touch? Because that's how we're deciding the band this year. Whoever gets closest to the actual number on Invisible Touch, he wouldn't do it. I tell you that he's a man of integrity and it pisses me off, but uh, <laughs> he's very much looking forward to coming on the show uh, in what, five weeks time now, because we're going to do uh, four weeks worth of We Can't Dance. Uh, very much yeah. looking forward to that. This is the one Genesis album that I, I really want on vinyl, but don't have yet. So, but we are going to go off the, uh, the re-released vinyl track listing where it's three songs per side on four different sides. So we're doing three tracks tonight. Fortunately, one of them in typical Genesis fashion is over 10 minutes long. <laughs> well, and this is, you know, they went back to, I, I think you could argue they went back to a little bit of more proggy stuff on this album in, in a couple of places, you know. But we should tell people, Corey, do you want to recap quickly, if you have the numbers in front of you, 
what were our ratings on the first seven Genesis albums? So that was Trick of the Tail, Wind and Wuthering, and then there were three, Duke, Abacab, Genesis, and Invisible Touch. And I'm trying to fill here, ladies and gentlemen, because Corey is frantically searching all his paper because this man, for some fucking reason, still writes things down on paper instead of putting them in Google Keep or Google Drive, which, you know, that's just it's, it's old man syndrome, and I got it too sometimes, but... I do have, so I'll, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep filling Corey, because I've got some of them. I've got Trick of the Tail, uh, came out at 73.5%, Wind and Wuthering at 72%, and then there were three as our lowest rated album so far at 65.5%, Duke, 74.5%, Abacab actually surprised me, and of course it was hobbled by one song in particular, that came out at 68.5%, uh, Genesis and Invisible Touch, I don't remember, I'm pretty sure they both came out fairly high. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get. Well, let's 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 do a bit of a, a podcast format, Steel Corey, and we'll try and figure okay. this out for for a future. You're good what, at that. What, what do you What do you guess that Genesis came out at? Because it doesn't count for our our head to head, and right. I'll guess, and then we'll figure out and we'll see who's closest. Okay. Well, if uh, I'm gonna say eighty three percent, eighty three. Okay, I'll do. Man, I gotta go like the slightly and the podcast will rock. I gotta either. I gotta pick like one point or half a point under or over, and I just I'm not sure. I'll go. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to go 86. Okay. Now we're going to have to go back because I literally have no idea where that piece of paper went that I had my with my chicken scratch on it. I've got every other <laughs> fucking piece of paper here. We need a spreadsheet. I'll set up a spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> but tonight we're talking. Like the, you said. Uh, do you want the votes on a fair warning? I have those on a piece of yeah, paper. Yeah, definitely. Right Let's, re- <laughs> Let's recap. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Of all the oh, nights, good Lord. Horribly unprepared. I was uh, in my day job. I was producing thirty-three hours of live television last weekend, and I'm I'm still uh, still recovering from that. So, you know, man, we, we talk we talk sometimes in, uh, in in my day job. I've got a new CEO or a fairly new CEO, and he likes to talk about heroic effort. You know, organizations often run not because of they're well resourced or they've got everything they need or they've got the right people and whatever. They work through heroic effort, and you making sure that that telethon ran as well as it did. For 33 hours is heroic effort, my friend. And I think that everyone down in Estevan really appreciates that, appreciates that, I'm sure. Well, thank you. And it took maximum effort to keep it on the air because, you know, once you get that train rolling down the track, she don't stop for 33 <laughs> consecutive hours. So uh, it was a challenge this year. But uh, when, when we took on in uh, the little town of Estevan, 11,000 people raised $357,000. So that'll do a lot of good in that community. Absolutely astounding. Okay, well, we're talking about We Can't Dance tonight. Yes, we are, um, finally. And, and just one thing right off the top that I like about it is that there's a song on this album called I Can't Dance. So I think going to We Can't Dance, that's just a nice little, you don't see that very often, right? Just, yeah, just, just, just a little turn. <laughs> just a little turn, yeah. And ironically, the song has nothing to do with dancing, uh, which <laughs> I, I, always, <laughs> I, I always kind of enjoyed. We're going to talk about that on side two. But we, we got uh, three uh, tracks we are going to talk about here tonight. Why do you say we jump right into the first one? Uh, the lead-off track was also the lead-off single uh, from uh, We Can't Dance. Uh, originally entitled Elephantus. We'll see if you can figure out why. Here's No Son of Mine. And 
And there's that sick elephant sound that originally <laughs> garnered the name. Yeah. And it's so cool, right? Because it's, uh, you know, this album was, Phil Collins says, it's the best example of them just going into the studio, improvising, and seeing what happens. And that was a little guitar lick that Mike uh, Rutherford was playing quite a lot faster than this, that Tony Banks basically sort of thought, well, I'll take that and I'll sample it and I'll slow it down and stretch it and add some effects to it. And you get this weird sort of this elephant thing, which is super cool. And uh, the, the TikTok at the beginning uh, yeah. symbolizes the passage of time, which is a, a key uh, theme in this uh, actually very dark song uh, about a boy who's abused by his father uh, gets away and then many years later summons the courage to go back uh, only to discover that his father hasn't changed. I was thinking about this too, Corey. I was listening to this song. You know, obviously you do the same thing. We listen to it, make some notes. Then what I do tend to do is go back to it and listen to it again just to see if I still think the same thing. And then I always give it one more listen to whatever side we're doing the day of recording just to sort of refresh it in your brain and whatever. And I started thinking about and I mean, not to drag the tone of the show down too early, but in Saskatchewan right now, we're dealing with a, a, a piece of legislation that our government has put through called the Parental Inclusion Bill. Um, and this song, there's a couple of lines in this song that really kind of made me think it's very prescient. And again, we should tell people that what this, this legislation is in very broad strokes is they're trying to make sure that parents have control over what kids' pronouns are, what name they want to use in schools. And it's sort of a rat system where the teachers are forced by law to tell parents you know, whether their son is identifying as non-binary or gay or whatever else it is, which of course only impacts those kids who are um, and impact, potentially impacts them negatively. And so there's a line in the song, soon I was living, it's not, we've not got there, but soon I was living with the fear every day of what might happen that night. And that just kind of made me think of how appalling it is with any kind of abuse, whether it's physical abuse, emotional abuse, God forbid, sexual abuse, which, you know, this song could be about any of those things. Um, and we're dealing with, in 2023, Corey, in our home province, a government that's enabling this to go on. So this song, like I said, it's timely, it's prescient, very dark, as you said, and brilliant. And very depressing that, that it's still timely because mm -hmm. all this legislation serves to do is potentially and, and you know, most likely hurt children. Yeah. And any government that is going to pass legislation that they know is going to hurt children and do it anyway uh, is gross and yeah. just uh, awful. And, and And they crow about it. Like, oh, yeah, all the parents are behind us. Well, I'm not fucking behind you, and most parents aren't no. because they know. Even this only impacts 10 kids. If 10 kids get hurt because they're outed to their parents and their parents, uh, you know, don't take kindly to it, that's 10 too many. Yeah, and that should be absolutely. reason enough to never, ever, ever uh, enact legislation like this. It's just absolutely gross. Completely agree. <laughs> I really loved uh, full, uh, Phil's tone on his vocal on this. Like, he almost sounds like he, he's young, right? And he's singing from yeah. that, that youthful perspective. You know, I didn't think a bunch about it till it started happening all the time. Soon I was living with the fear every day of what might happen that night. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Good, you know what? I hadn't thought of that, Corey, and that's a really, really good observation that he, he's very deliberately pulling back the delivery and holding that in a sort of, yeah, in a youthful frame. Good call, man. I, yeah, that's a great observation. Yeah. Until we get to the chorus. 
and and th- then there's a lot of uh, anger coming out because of course yeah. that's the, the the quote from his father. So. So still very youthful uh, in that vocal delivery, right? And then listen to this next part when he sat me down to talk to me. It takes a little yeah. darker turn, and then the and then the chorus kicks in, and it's it's a totally different uh, tone again. Well, just musically, what they're doing then, Tony's playing all suspended chords, so he's never landing on a full major or a full minor. It's all in that mid space where it's that it's not it's not tension exactly, but he's building that anticipation for you know that at some point it's going to break, and when it does, it's just so much more impactful because they hold. That suspension for, I don't know, like eight, 16 bars, whatever it is. It's such a powerful chorus when the guitar oh. kicks in, and then just that that big splash of the crash cymbal, did or not, bow your nose. Yeah, like oh, it's it constructed incredibly well. You notice too, though, that the pre-chorus and chorus together are really long. Yeah, like a lot longer than you because you know a pre-chorus usually is four bars maybe, and then the chorus is usually about four or eight or whatever it is. But this this is quite long. And this song structurally is, and we'll talk about that maybe once it's done. It is quite interesting because it's not got, it's not got exactly the the form of the structure when you listen to it critically. You think, oh man, it's not exactly where where I thought it would go, but yeah, super mm-hmm. cool. Tony Banks never met an arpeggio that he didn't like. He <laughs> plays them all the time. Those little those little descending arpeggios. He does them everywhere across the whole catalogue. But he's so good at them. He knows when to use them. He knows to whether to use those, like I said, those big full chords or the, the suspended things or diminished, whatever. And it adds so much to the song because you could just play that without without that in there, and it would work great. But it just gives it that little bit of movement. I think that you, that you want in the song. Movement, yeah, and, and emotion too, uh, in a very yeah. uh, dark section where, uh, oh, his words, how they hurt me, I'll never forget it. And as the time it went by, I lived to regret it. And again, another very dark emotional line, kind of kind of carried along by the, this lighter uh, yeah. uh, keyboard uh, part, which I thought was very interesting. Well, I'm gonna get, well, I mean, we're going to talk about the lyrics in this song and bloody hell, <laughs> they're weighty. <laughs> <laughs> There, there's a really dark uh, a keyboard sound in there too. It almost sounds like a like just a straight fuzz, right? Like a very yeah. just low t- tone. Yeah. It is. It's that. Doom, doom, doom. It's those little. The, the, it's a three note thing, and it is. It's super. It's a saw edge. You know, for any synth keyboard nerds out there, it's a saw edge synth sound. And again, it's that thing that Banks does that. 
I think sets him apart from even most like the big prog like Anderson and all these guys who the prog rock keyboard players. He's got such a great attuned ear for. I'll, I just need that one sound here for two bars, three bars, and he does it so often. We've heard it so often through this catalogue. Yeah, my note there was uh, motherfucking Phil Collins. <laughs> okay, and we're going to talk about this at the end, but we're at, what, 5.31 now, and the song is 6.41. I would argue that the song is over now. And I think the last minute of this song is, I mean, I'll use the word unnecessary, just because I think it does drag a little bit from now on. Now, I think some of those, you know, because he does the high risen, ah, he does all those things. Could have done those earlier. I think it just it, from here it just sort of eh, it doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah, a lot of OOS too yeah. that uh, were unnecessary. Interesting that the uh, the single edit, I think it starts to fade out actually around five forty one. Uh, so about ten seconds from now. So there we go. I didn't even look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to play a little bit of the outro? Uh, I had a sorry five fifty eight is a good example of maybe what we were talking about here. I don't mind a slow fade out, and it fades out now for the next, you know, thirty seconds. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah it, you're, I agree with you, hundred uh, percent. The last minute uh, could have been trimmed down quite a bit, and uh, the single edit, I, I think, is maybe the better version of the song because of yeah, it. I totally agree. Yeah, and it, it is, it's, it's, it's the shame though, because right? one of the things that we like as sort of music fans, I think, or certainly I do, is in the fade out, you sometimes get cool stuff, right? You'll get a weird little guitar fill, or a lick, or a solo, even, or something, or Phil scatting a little bit. So you don't you don't necessarily want to lose them, but then when you critically you think, well, song doesn't need it though, you know. Yeah. Um, okay, so uh, I want to finish off with a quote from Tony about this song. Uh, he says, "And I quote: Sounds like an elephant being sick." I think he's referring to the very beginning. <laughs> it's just a very distinct sound, you know. Again, I always like to try and get a sound in there if I can. Typical Tony horseshit. And this was again just sampling <laughs> noise in the room. And it was just Mike actually sort of thrashing around and just cut out this little bit in the middle of it and then slowed it right down and just used the front end of it and stuck it in with this E minor chord. The effect was fantastic. Well, this is great. I love this. And immediately then Phil started warbling on top of it. We thought, we've got a song here. This sounds really good. I just love that he said that here comes Phil fucking warbling all over it. We're yeah. like, all right, we this is a song. Wasn't that so funny, though, that, you know, if you think about you know, we're both in massively, we're both nerds. We're both music nerds. <laughs> and we love the process of how do you write songs? Well, Genesis with this album and most of the ones before, but especially this one, Phil would actually, they'd just put a drum loop on just to keep time. And Tony and Mike would play and Phil would warble, as Tony says. But the thing that he warbled in this was no son of mine. No son of mine, no son. No. And that was like, well, how would you go somewhere with that? And so eventually once to finish the music part of it, no son of mine is like, yeah, that's a hook. I can write something around that. Mm -hmm. And I love the fact that Tony says it's his favorite on the album, yeah. which I wouldn't have expected because he wrote a pretty good song on this record. And, and this is more of a, a Phil uh, contribution, correct? Well, yeah. He so wrote the, the first, for it, so. the first, the whole, the, the whole, this episode is all Phil Collins lyrically. Mm -hmm. um, and well, let's get into it then, Corey. I mean, what in terms of music, lyrics, and production, where did you land with this one? Uh, I was eight and a half for music. 
I really like the music on this. Um, it gets a little re repetitive uh, in, in sections, maybe a little too much uh, in, in, in sections. Um, I, I'm not sure when, when Phil is singing in a place of pain, having that light arpeggio, dee, 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 dee. like I said, right. it was an interesting choice. I don't know if it worked hundred percent for me. So I kind of docked a little bit for that. I gave it eight and a half for music. I gave it eight and a half for lyrics. Lyrically, it's brilliant. It tells a compelling story, but it's very dark. And yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like, uh, I, I saw Schindler's list once. It's a brilliant <laughs> film and I never want to watch it again. Uh, it's, I, I have no problem listening to No Son of Mine, but lyrically it's, it's, it's very, you know, it's tough listening. At least it wasn't about his fucking divorce. Oh my God, my wife left me and I miss my boy. Blah, blah, blah. Shut up. Uh, at least it was something a little different than that. Uh, but production, I gave it a five because it's uh, constructed okay. incredibly well. I could have docked it uh, for the outro. I kind of put that more uh, in the music. I docked it for that. But like uh, the production of this album, we should mention, uh, wasn't Hugh Padham, which who uh, had done pretty much all of them that we talked about on this season. Yeah. Uh, it was Nick Davis, but uh, you know, incredibly crisp, clear. Uh, I loved the elements where they were placed. Uh, I loved Phil's changing of tones as he was kind of taking us on the journey through the song. I love a cinematic song. Uh, so I gave it a perfect five for production. So I was eight and a half, eight and a half and five. How about you, sir? I mean, overall on average, pretty bloody close. Um, and talk about cinematic songs. There's another one on this side that we're going to be talking about. But music, I went seven only because Mike's not doing much on bass. It's just holding the root. It's not a bad thing. He's just holding the root notes down, but it's it's just a bit so-so. Phil does some fast, fantastic work, but it's very reserved. Tony gets the key spot on, I think, on this one. But it's musically, it's pretty average for Genesis, which is not to say that it's bad. It's just just a bit. It's okay. Lyrics, I mean, for me, it's, a, I don't know why I give it a lot of, a lot more tens maybe than you do, Corey, but <laughs> I just don't know how you improve this lyric. Like I said, it is incredibly dark, but he handles the subject matter so well that you're sort of put in the place of this character and you feel at times in this song threatened and sort of, you know, persecuted and under attack and everything. And so, and I like that build into the major key where it's sort of, you know, son of mine, because it's, to me, it's always been about that sort of, um, release like if you're in that position where someone's picking on you or abusing or whatever and you manage to get some sort of detachment does even though he's saying you're no son of mine he's got that sort of almost like emotional barrier between, between him and the abuse that he's managed to get from distance and i just think it's i don't know if that was deliberate you know like i said we've said this before sometimes we apply these filters that we have of our own onto songs that were just written off the cuff but i think that's very very cool um so lyrics ten, and then production four. I, I what did you did you say three point five or four? You went. I said somewhere. five actually. Or five. Sorry. Okay. So yeah, for me, I mean, it, the song's over at five twenty five. So I think we should have faded there. There's no bridge in this song, which is crazy for a Genesis song. There's only two sections in this song. There's the verse section and the chorus section, and that's it. And I think that that's maybe where I had to dock it a bit. And I I sort of you know kind of went between three point five and four just because Genesis you usually would have expected something in the middle there to break up those two first chorus sections but it's i mean in terms of we're talking about production it sounds phenomenal and i think that the problem with this album is going to be that on the production side we're only ever going to be talking about arrangement length um in terms of sonics we're never going to be criticizing this album because it's amazing all the way through to me anyway yep couldn't agree more so i like you said pretty close on that one uh those set of mine was performed 221 times uh, by Genesis. They played it, obviously, on the Weekend Dance Tour, uh, the Turn It On Again Tour, and even a uh, Last Domino uh, Tour, I believe they also played yeah. it there. So, All right, now we're going to get to a song that they only played 70 times. 
just on the We Can't Dance Tour. Kind of surprising, but let's check out uh, Jesus, He Knows Me. Somewhere I read that they clocked the beats per minute on this song at like 180 or something. Like, it's very fast for a Genesis song. Well, and that depends how you count it, right? <laughs> if you can count that <laughs> at 90 or 180. But it, yeah, it's quick. Like, absolutely. Um, uh, th this song was originally titled Do the New Thing, which I think yeah. was in reference to Tony's opening notes. Like, oh, do that new thing that, that, you, uh, that you did the other day. One that did it, did it, did it. It's like, what is that? Like, what does that come from? But again, that's that's what i love about it. we we rag on tony on this podcast folks you know and we we kind of make fun of his pretentiousness sometimes but as a musician and as a prog rock keyboard player he's pretty much peerless i think he is but you know what look up and smile every once in a while and you don't need eight <laughs> keyboards on your rig <laughs> he all uses right, all those keyboards Corey. he uses every he does one not of <laughs> <laughs> you're full of shit quit, quit apologizing for him <laughs> All right, now this is a song that's about people getting fleeced by televangelists, which yeah. um, I, I think televangelists are some of the, the most despicable forms of scum on earth because they just prey upon the weak constantly. And, and, and that's what this came from. I, I found a, a Phil quote about where the song came from that kind of sums it up. He says, quote, in Genesis, I read a, lo a lot about things that I observe. For example, Jesus, he knows me is about an American TV priest and how he turns people's beliefs into money. When I first saw the man on American television, I was totally fascinated. These people are hypocrites, total hypocrites. These people build an empire with their double standards and even get away with it. The whole thing is a hypocritical farce. Amen, brother. Preach. I looked it up, Corey. Um, the top five televangelists in the U.S. Andy Stanley, his net worth is $45 million. Holy cow. This is a preacher. This is a, a sportly man of God, a man of the cloth. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Furtick Jr., which is an awful name, $55 million. Then we jump up to joint second place, Joel Osteen, who I'm sure you're aware of him, seeing that slimy little fucker's face, and Pat Robertson, who is one of the most despicable human beings I've ever lived, $100 million. Those three together don't even com combine to equal Kenneth Copeland whose net worth is $300 million. Isn't that sick? There's no question Just, why I'm smiling, you know? Yeah, praying, praying upon the, the, the weak and the desperate. It's just a disgrace. I mean, yeah, you've seen um, Carlin's routine, or George Carlin's routine, right? Mm -hmm. You know, about God. You know, almighty, all-seeing, just can't handle money. Always <laughs> needs money! <laughs> <laughs> I, I always think back to Bono on Rattle and Humble. My God's not short of cash, mister. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get you everything you want it. I'll get you everything you need. You don't need to believe in here after. Just believe in me. Because Jesus, he knows me. And he knows I'm right. I've been talking to Jesus all my life. 
So you must have seen the interview that I did as well. You're looking at, you know, when we do our research, do your research when we do our research. Um, Phil said that when he brought this to the band, the lyric, they were a little bit sort of skeptical. And he said, no, 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 I'm, I'm, it's, it's satire. I'm parodying these people and I'm sort of sending them up in the, you know, in the Monty Python way. Um, and, you know, you've got in this section here, you've got this build um, with these big harmonies, which are really sort of lampooning the the gospel choir that these charlatans have in their their huge, you know, thirty thousand seater churches to to get the dander up of the of the congregation. Everything about this song is constructed so brilliantly, and it's funny. Think about this though too, because we know that all these songs were written. The music was all written for all twelve tracks or all fourteen tracks in these sessions before a single lyric was written. So to get that sort of tie back into, okay, well, I've written this lyric. Oh, we need some ooze here, and we need this big harmony thing, and we need to make it sound like a church choir. It's very clever. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, I, I just keep going back to, to the satire of it all and, and thinking back to a song like Illegal Alien, which attempted satire too, which for some people uh, didn't really work and uh, mm-hmm. they were labeled racist because of it. I always saw it as satire, uh, but, but that's just me. The, the, this one here, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Uh, especially when you're when you're coming up to the next verse, which has one of my favorite lines oh. in it, uh, but she don't know about my girlfriend or the man I met last night. It's, it fits we, uh, so well. We quite often write down exactly the same things. And at one eleven, <laughs> we're talking about the same damn thing again, Corey. Let's check it out. <laughs> And that's the hook, right? If you want to get to heaven, you better give me enough money so I can afford another plane. Absolutely. And I mean, the evangelists, okay. they just they just took their cues from the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church used to sell whatever the beneficiaries, beneficents or whatever they, call, they were called. You know, we'll pray extra for you so they, you know, yep. it'll give you a better chance of getting into heaven. But there's also, I mean, that little guitar lick that Mike throws in there is just super tasty. <laughs> We were talking yeah, offline um, a little bit before we started about Guns N' Roses, and one of the things I love most about Guns N' Roses is all the little interstitial guitar licks that Slash puts in in between vocal phrases, and that's what Mike's doing here. It's just beautiful. Yeah, especially on that line, or the man I met last night. Like, yeah, such yeah. a perfect place for it. Yeah. What a verse. Well, I, oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> Did you catch that little synth bit? Yep. That Tony puts in after sacrifice. Like, and then yep. it's funny because I've listened. I know this song like the back of my hand. I've listened to this song probably at least I don't know, Christ, two fifty, three hundred times, whatever. I don't know that I've ever noticed that before, and that's one of the joys we've talked about this before, Corey, about doing this podcast or doing the podcast the types of podcasts we do. Is you listen to songs with a different set of ears and you find new things in songs you know so well. Super, super, super cool. Yeah, really great. I, I want to finish off uh, this section though because he's got a great line coming up here. Which is a do as I say, don't do as I do. 
Now there's more keyboards on the uh, try to be nice. He hit that four times. Try to be nice. I never yeah. noticed that before. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that's something new. Put the headphones on, listen to it with the new set of ears, and he doesn't even notice that. But I love the yeah. God will take good care of you. Just do as I say, don't do as I do. <laughs> well, that's the because they're hypocrites. Right? They're all fucking <laughs> yeah. hypocrites. I mean, they're all fucking hypocrites, and they're all fucking hypocrites. That's true. You know. And the other line too in that one I love is won't find me practicing what I'm preaching because it's it's literal and metaphorical. I was like, ah, you greasy. But Phil, man, Phil was in such a great sort of seam of songwriting or lyric writing during this period. And we should say, like, during the, you know, there's five years between Invisible Touch and We Can't Dance. And in that time, Phil goes away and he basically sort of makes a movie or is massively involved in the making of Buster. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and, and also was in Hook, you know, he, he had a sort of a, a fairly minor role in the movie Hook, and also released um, But Seriously, so he was very productive during that time, but I think he comes back into this album, um, and the first two songs, and then the next song especially that we're going to talk about, with a very good sense of theatre, and a good sense of narrative and story, and I mean, he's just in full flow in this song, eh? Oh, Absolutely. I love the won't find me making no sacrifice line too, even though that's what they say in the Bible you should do, especially if you're a man of God, right? Like don't build churches. The church should be in your heart and in your home. Nope. Fuck it. We're going to build solid gold cathedrals because fuck you. Oh God. Hypocrites. All right. Where where are we going to next? (laughs) We're getting rammy. I mean, this is one thing that we should say too, because Corey and I have not talked about religion. I don't think ever. We haven't talked about our political beliefs, and it turns out that we're both exactly on the same page on most of these things, which we've just learned on a podcast. So, you know what, folks? Podcasting is good for the soul. Hey, you know, I, I got to say, I'm not overly surprised. I, I thought we'd be pretty closely <laughs> aligned, so. I suspect so, yeah. Do you remember phone books and toll-free numbers? <laughs> I, you know, we still get a bloody phone book, and I still haven't found anywhere on the City of Saskatoon website any place where I can say, stop sending me paper. I don't need paper. <laughs> I've got a phone and an internet. Oh, man, we haven't got phone books here in uh, probably five, six years. Well, you, I mean, you're done in Weber and everyone knows each other, right? You just shout out your door. Hey, Steve. That's right. We're just more progressive down here, you northerners. We're <laughs> so city folk. Yeah. Are you still using candles uh, to, to light your way around? <laughs> oh, that's, that's a good lyric there, Corey. You should write a song around that. Could be if a country song, I, maybe. If only you had just a little bit of talent, I probably could. If, if I had just a, <laughs> just a modicum uh, of talent, I would give that a shot, but... I just love that uh, play on words. If you want to get closer to him, get on your knees. You would think he would uh, say and start praying. He says yeah. and start paying. Yeah, I mean, it's just, again, I mean, <laughs> lyrically, this side of this album, not to show our hand or my hand, maybe even for the next song, it's just, I think it might be Phil Collins' best lyrical output on any side of any record he made, Genesis or Solo. It's astonishing the words he put together on this side of this record. Phil really came into these sessions kind of rejuvenized. I know everyone kind of thought, oh, he's going to be distracted by his his acting career and his solo career because But Seriously was one of his biggest albums of all time. Yeah. But he was actually 100% committed to to Genesis and to this record. And man, it really shows because uh, here's another one. 
Uh, I'll, I'll start on this one because you started on the first one. I'm, yeah. Unless you have another time step you want to go to? Go. All right. I love Jesus. He knows me. Uh, musically, I gave it a nine. Very, very solid nine. Uh, knocking it for just minor little quibbles here and there. I just couldn't quite get it to a 10. I did give it a 10 for lyrics, though. This song really spoke to my soul because I agree 100% with Phil Collins and everything that he's saying here. And another uh, five for production because 417 is a perfect length. Uh, I really dug uh, everything about it. I think I maybe docked at a point on music, maybe for the reggae section. Not that it doesn't work because it does. No, it really does. It really does. But maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe there was just, uh, I don't know. I, okay. I can't really vocalize it. <laughs> the, it. It takes you kind of out of it a little bit. It works quite well, but maybe there was just a little bit more they could have put on there. Well, next next artist, if I win, Corey, we're, we're doing Bob Marley. I'm going to I'm gonna get some Reggie oh, into your soul. Lord. I'm going <laughs> to... Did you say Reggie? Reggie. It's Reggie. That's what... No, that's what, it's reggae. That's what, the, that's what the Cardinal calls it, and he's infected me. You know what it's like. The Cardinal. Fuck that guy. <laughs> on your last show, he told me to go fuck myself, so he can go fuck off. <laughs> Well, for me, I mean, I'm, we're fairly simpatico on this one. 8.5. Um, it's very simple. I love the guitar riff. I think... I love all that. The breakdown's great. The middle eight. I love the middle eight because it really takes the song somewhere. And I think that that's the difference between this one and Jesus in, or, uh, No Son of Mine. Is I kind of want that. I want that change of direction that Genesis can do so well. Um, it's a nice, it's a pop song, right? It's short, like you said. It's got an urgency in the minor chords that breaks the major key chorus. When the tone of the song gets very cynical, and you pointed that out, right? So when you get really dark lyrically, sometimes it's a really good idea to get very bright musically because it. A uh, fifty dollar word warning. It juxtaposes the two elements very nicely. Lyrics ten. I mean, Jesus Christ! It's probably. Well, here's a question then, Corey. Is this the best deconstruction of religious zealotry in pop music of all time? I can't think of a better song in that sort of vein that anyone's ever written. I can't. The only thing that comes close, and it's not even really religion, but it's associated with the religion, and it was a line uh, in the Cinderella song, Shelter Me, about uh, Tipper Gore and the whole censorship of albums. Tipper led the war against the record industry. She said she saw the devil on her MTV. Yeah. If you look into the cabinet, it takes more than a key, just like Jimmy Skeleton and his ministry. So we're talking about uh, Jimmy Falwell again. So. Oh, man. I, again, the things that we stumble across when, we, when we're talking, that is literally my favorite fucking Cinderella song. Oh, great tune. Great tune. There, great that's tune. a good I'm, band to do, too. We'll definitely go, because only four albums. We can do that quickly. Yeah, so... Eight and a half, ten, and then five for production. Like you said, I mean, what do you pick apart in this? You can't. You know, um, it's flawless in pretty much every detail. I don't know. There's not a misplaced note. Here's a question for you then, Corey. We talk, you know, on your podcast, or you talk on your podcast, I should say, and the podcast will rock about the production of the albums 5150 and more so OU812 in terms of the way they sound and the albums that followed them. Think about if Invisible Touch had the production aesthetic that We Can't Dance has, how much better that album becomes. Listen to drums on this. The drums are amazing. Where on Invisible Touch, they're very thin in places, and which bugged me more than I thought it was going to. I didn't realize I was going to have that much of a problem with it going in. But these sound, everything just sounds incredible on this album, musically. Production-wise, uh, We Can't Dance blows oh, every Genesis album thus far out of the water, but especially Invisible Touch. And I like what you mentioned about the drums because the drums here are very full. Oh. And they're very booming in, in, in spots. Uh, e even the cymbals. Uh, we I talked about No Son of Mine. 
uh, the big crash before he yeah. sings that that lyric. Just big, splashy crash. That sounds so fucking good that you would expect that symbol to sound like. It's not electronic, and it's not thin and tinny and stupid sounding. I, I couldn't agree more. Well, I think it's because, again, I mean, as a hobbyist drummer, and, you know, one of our listeners and one of our friends got asking, maybe he'll back me up on this on the uh, album wrap episode, or season wrap episode. When you get a drummer like Phil Collins, he's a very expressive drummer. And when you put him on an electronic kit like a Simmons at the time, there was no velocity gauge on those drums. You hit it, and it made a sound. Mm-hmm. Put him on a real kit, and then you get Phil Collins. Then you get all the emotion, all the nuance, all the heart. And that's why this album sounds so much better to me, is because he's playing a real bloody kit. And even though I don't want to tip my hand or, or say anything here, maybe the songs on Invisible Touch are a little bit stronger than the ones on this record. It's kind of like the songs on, uh, you know, uh, the fuck album, uh, you know, versus OU812. Yeah. Like, you know, w- or 100%. say 5150. The songs on 5150 were arguably better, but the songs on fuck sound 100 times better. So it, it makes them a lot closer. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, like I said, that song was played 70 times. Uh, this next one uh, was played 65 times live. It's about the, the Navy's or the Navi's. The Navi are from Pandora in the movie Avatar. I'm assuming this is Navy's. Rail no. workers of the 19th century. How, how do you pronounce it? Navi's. Navi? So it is the Navi like Pandora. Okay. No, Navi. Like a flat air Navi. Because na- it comes from, where it comes from is navigational engineers. That's okay. what it's short for. Yeah. Well, I'm going I'm to say Navi because uh, <laughs> I like James Cameron. Let's check out Driving the Last Spike. <laughs> I think this might be one of the best, if not the best intro in the Phil Collins era of Genesis. And I'm going to, I'm tipping my hand a little bit there because, you know, when you know what this song's about and it's the, you know, the construction of the railways in Britain. And also, you know, we think about in Canada, we had the same thing where a lot of laborers and there's a lot of Chinese laborers who sort of built the, the rail system in Canada and across the US, they were sort of, you know, they came out and they were, subject to awful conditions a lot of them didn't go home this to me this intro to me is about the navi leaving his home you've got this sort of almost like a cool spring morning and he's maybe got overalls on and he's holding like his little toolbox over and he's heading out into this to him maybe an adventure and a life away from his home for three to four months whatever it might be and the song ends up taking us in a different direction but to me it's this perfect cinematic opening to this narrative that we end up getting well, I'm going to disagree with you because I think it's kind of narratively confusing because right off the hop, he's talking about, uh, he's leaving his family behind. They're in tears. So it's not a happy moment. This is a very kind of ethereal, happy kind of opening refrain. And, and that's not lyrically what we're getting. Leaving my family behind me, not knowing what lay ahead, waving goodbye as I left them in tears, remembering all we said. This is very right. a very melancholy lyric, but it feels like a very hopeful musical refrain i thought it was a little they kind of clashed a bit okay but okay here we go i'm going to start making justifications for my bullshit arguments right which i do i can do this off the cuff fairly well but if you think about sometimes you make a decision in life like let's say you know you're going to go work three months away on some kind of on a film shoot or something 
you know that it's what's best for your family, but it doesn't make it easy for them. But for you, it's an opportunity and it's a bright future and there's there's potentially good things ahead. And that's what I meant by, I think, because it's written, this song's written from the first person mm-hmm. all the way through. Like it's it's sort of someone telling the tale. So to me, that's why I said that it's that sort of bright mood in this intro is potential and opportunity rather than sorrow or sadness. See, and I never got that. I, I get a, a guy who's who's walking into the unknown he looks to the sky, uh, offers his prayers, asking God for guidance and strength. That that's not a guy who's off on an adventure, you know. To me, he's okay. he, he's a lot more forlorn about it. I think we're going to diverge on this one, Corey. Already, I think I'm nervous <laughs> now. Leaving my family behind, not knowing what lay ahead. Waving goodbye as I left. You mentioned on, was it No Son of Man, I think, right? Phil's vocal delivery, and he's doing kind of the same thing here. It's very restrained. He's pulling it all back. And I love the massive reverb that's added to all the little clicks and pops and whatever, the little sort of percussive things that Tony's doing. You get this sort of, okay, we're starting out from this very sort of flat, place we know this song's gonna build it's 10 minutes it's not gonna go on like this forever so i like this sort of i like this uh, bedrock that we're building this baseline that they're saying okay we've got somewhere to go here because we're just pulling everything back there's no bass guitar or it's very little bass guitar there's no definitely no lead guitar it's just this very simple percussive synth rhythm with phil singing on top of it yeah uh and again uh to me that that sounds very kind of forlorn like he's he knows uh there's bad shit on the horizon he doesn't want to leave his family uh, yeah. Maybe he knows, uh, you know, what the life expectancy of a 19th century rail worker was in Britain at the time, which was not great, uh, as yeah. far as I could tell, especially listening to this track. But uh, yeah, I, I get very sad listening to the beginning of this song. And not funny that we take different things from it. The same song and, you know, the same knowledge of, the, you know, what it's about and everything else. But that's what, that's the beauty of music. That's, we all take different things from it. And, you know, sometimes we're right and sometimes we're Corey, you know. I was going to do that, you fucker. I was going to, sometimes we're right and sometimes we're you. Son of a bitch, you stole my line. You know, we're two middle-aged men talking over Zoom with headphones on and being very pontificating about this stuff. But I, I will, I will throw a word out, Corey, that maybe will make you uneasy or uncomfortable. There's a, there's so much beauty in this song to me. Like that melody that Tony plays there, I can only describe it as beautiful. I could say it's cool, or I could say it's restrained, or whatever. It's beautiful. I agree totally, and it doesn't fit this song. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> it's a song about death and loneliness and despair and awfulness, and we have this beautiful refrain it's, playing through it. It's, it's just it's, no, you narratively it, it's clashing. I know I am the point, motherfucker. I don't know what planet you're living on right now. 
What what did you think? Now the guitar was great in there. The keys were great. What did you think of the? You know, we had some uh, some drum machine in there, and I mean, again, not I can't I don't want to tip my hand. We we try not to do that too much on this podcast, but oh man, I just think it's so well put together. Genesis. I mean, this is it's, it's funny, right? Because this is the last album with Phil, and I think that in this era of Genesis, you know, okay, they've got away from prog, and if we say that Trick of the Tail is the best prog album with Phil. They moved away and they went into pop sensibilities. To me, this is their zenith as a three-piece. Um, and everything sounds perfect to me. So it's it's a little bit hard to be critical on some of these songs, you know, but it's sonically at least. Now, I want to keep going from here because this is probably my favorite verse uh, in the entire song. I gave everything that they Again, very beautiful music, very dark verse. Okay, so I was going to leave this till, till the end, but here's my counterpoint to that, Corey. Here's my sort of counter-argument, or I'll come back to it. To me, once we get further on the song, especially, yeah, there's hardship in this song, and there's, you know, struggle and everything else, but to me, it's always about the indomitable human spirit. It's about that ability that we have as human beings to rise above and to overcome all those things. And, you know, we'll get to, you know, later on in the song, we're going to get to a massive major key lift where you think, yeah, all that shit happens. I still got through it. So, you know, you, you just got through 33 hours of a telethon. It's not crushed your spirit. You're back podcasting. You're in fine form. So, you know. Musically, you can build to that better. Like you did, that lyric refrain does happen later in the song. Yeah. Uh, ironically, when they talk about driving the last spike, which is what they say when they complete the railroad, right? Yeah. That's where you can kind of put that uplifting stuff. And I would be with you there. The fact that we're getting that here more than we're getting anything, I just find a little uh, tonally uh, confusing. But okay. it's it's still it's beautiful music. It's incredibly well written, incredibly well sung. Uh, lyrics are fantastic. listen to mike's bass there and it's funny because i hadn't written this down like i hadn't i don't know if you do this too Corey. when we're going through these songs i look at my notes and i'm like oh i need to talk about this and i need to stop here and i talk about that. and sometimes I'm like fucking hell, i didn't hear that before that's cool and then i get sidetracked i forget the thing i was going to talk about and then i talk about that <laughs> mike's bass there sounds fantastic and that's one thing on this album we've actually talked about this Corey, a lot on on the catalog especially on those first three albums i think maybe where mike's bass kind of got muddied and, and lost in the mix a little bit sometimes it sounds so good on this album this record like good lord it sounds fantastic yeah it really does uh, and uh, during this uh, you can't really call it the chorus uh, i don't know if this song has a chorus so much but the can you hear me can you see me uh maybe metaphorical in this uh stanza it's not uh, in the next one where it's actually quite fucking literal oh i this is getting really weird and freaky because I've written down so many of the same bloody things. <laughs> but here it is. It's it's to me this this can you hear me? Can you see? Is again going back to the character leaving and you know going off on this thing. Can you can you hear me? Can you see 
I'm doing this for you. I'm not, I'm, I'm going out and I'm working hard. Do you appreciate me is what this is. You know, we appreciate you. Well, I'll throw back to Mark Kamara's catchphrase. We appreciate you. And it's about appreciation, I think, in this stanza. Mm-hmm. Good word yeah. to you, Sansa. I'll take that. That's a Scrabble word. <laughs> okay, th- this is the part of the song that feels like it was lifted from a Michelob Light commercial. I, I-, I don't know if it's... I, I don't know if that works uh, for for the tone of this song. Like it, we're all of a sudden I'm in you know beer commercial territory with the synthesizer, and we're getting to a, another very dark part of the of the song here. Man, to me this is the this this is the section that like, okay, we've had the intro, you know, buddy's left and he's got his overalls and his his whatever you know da da da, and he's crying and yeah he's got to now he's on the job site now you can hear the spikes being driven into the rails to me into mm-hmm. the rail ties. I can hear the hammers. I can visualize that in my mind. And I think that's sort of the guitar and synth trade-off. It's that sort of, it's cooperation and collaboration to me. Like again, I mean, I know I always over-fucking think these things, but I, I don't know, man. To me, it's got that mechanical sound that sounds like people working on a railway line. I think it's phenomenal. Was it a little too much Jan Hammer, though, for you? Like, it was for me. It, <laughs> no, it, it took me into the no. 1980s, and this is a 1991 really? album. Yeah. Oh wow! Okay, no, I've never, I've never had that in my ears, Corey. Yeah. I I totally get what you're saying about uh, this is them on the job site because again, yeah. that's that's what I had too. But it was just that that synth tone. And when I say Michelob Light commercial, I saw commercials in the 1980s for Michelob Light that had similar music and similar keyboards. That's why it kind of took me back to that. So it's definitely just the Corey problem. But I see all your points. But <laughs> it, you know, it, it's a little too like fucking Harold Faltemeyer uh, for my liking. Again, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll repeat myself. It's the beauty of music. It's, there's, there's no right and wrong. There, there really is, and we joke about that a lot, but there really is no right and wrong because it depends how it lands with you. To me, this, when it changes to that, that's when you get in the, it's the second act. It's the start of the second act of the movie. You know, now we've, we've had all the, the, the character building. Now we know who this guy is, and we've maybe met a couple of incidental characters along the way. Now we get into the, the beef of, well, what, what are they doing? Like, what are they actually doing in this second act? And they're building a fucking railroad. And there's maybe a stern sort of supervisor. And there's guys fucking working their asses off driving these spikes. Like, those things were, those railroad spikes were like 9, 10, 11 inches long. And, and they were going into rock and stone and, I mean, just unbelievable labor that these guys went through. And to me, this section just expresses it so well. But what's the climax of the second act? They're digging a tunnel and there's a fucking cave-in. Men die, Kevin, and, and we're, and we're b- bouncing around <laughs> on this happy little, uh, I don't know. <laughs> play, just, play about five seconds more there, Corey. So you hear what Phil and Mike are doing there. Mike's playing he's playing two notes and he's starting on the one. And you talked to Scott asking enough that one eanda, right? Phil comes in not on the one with the kick, it's on the one E. So it's ba boom and he comes on the second note of that. There's no reason to do that. Most people wouldn't. But again, it just sort of 
he doesn't do that on the other times in the song that we hear this passage and this chord progression. It's that thing of, okay, let's add something into this section just to move the song along and to keep things flowing. And it's also bloody hard to play, by the way. Getting that kick oh, right I, I and that, don't right that accent note is, well, you know, you're a drummer, so. Mm-hmm. But again, what, uh, what emotion uh, does that lovely little piece of music kind of elicit from you? <laughs> it's suspension. Like, it, it, it keeps going back to, I think, okay, narratively to me, this is the, if you, let's, say this, it, let's say this is a movie. And we've got this character who leaves home, leaves his family behind, not knowing what lays ahead. Now he's building the tunnel. Maybe there's a time where it flashes. The movie flashes back, and it goes back to a time where his daughter's born. And he's holding his girl, and it's that time before he was in this tunnel, shifting the earth, you know, before it happened. That's what it is to me. It, it, like, this movie is so cinematic. It is just by a shitty filmmaker because (laughs) they don't know how many people died at this point in the movie, Kevin. Everybody's dead, and we're la di da di da. Let's go skipping through the days. It's point of view, Corey. You don't know how many people died in an accident. Well, because what is his point of view? If you're on the coal face, or if you're if you're digging this fucking tunnel, you don't know what's going on behind you. All you know is that you got to shift this much earth, and you hear rumblings, but you don't know. Oh man, I'm I'm really I'm really dreading these ratings. <laughs> <laughs> the smoke cleared, the dust had settled. No one knew how many had died. Yeah, all around there were broken men. They said it was safe. They lied. He should be pretty upset at this point. Instead of like, oh well, Jim's dead. I guess I didn't like him much anyway. And Pete owed me twenty bucks, so fuck him. <laughs> I don't know. It- Pete owed me twenty bucks. <laughs> hey, that's twenty bucks. I don't have. Well, there you go. There's a reason to be happy. The twenty bucks I don't have to pay back. <laughs> I don't know. Totally, uh, I'm not sure if this works for me. It's a little too upbeat for being such melancholy uh, lyrics. Uh... So that to me, and I don't know, again, I've got this, maybe this is a thing, right? With this song, I've got this narrative built in my head that I've had there for a long time that's basically impenetrable at this point, and I'll take on board some of your comments because aggravatingly, it's like, I haven't fucking thought about it that way before. But this to me is when they've kind of, they've, they've burst through now, the other side of this mountain, whatever it is, that they're trying to build, and this is where the sun comes through now. You've had these guys working on this tunnel for, I don't know, let's say three, four, five weeks, digging in darkness, living with danger, and now you break through and suddenly the sun comes through and that big, massive, bright, major full chord signals, okay, now we're moving ahead again. Now, now we've got through this real hardship. Now things are moving again. And I just, again, I, I, musically, sonically, narratively, I think it's just phenomenal. Oh, man. The, the, this music is, is Rocky running down the beach with Apollo Creed, jumping up and down because they're training. And there lyrically, it's, uh, but I can hear my children's cry. I can see the tears in their eyes, memories of those I've left behind. Will I ever go back again? Will I ever see their face? It's the most depressing fucking lyrics you can come up with. With Rocky <laughs> running down the beach? No! This doesn't work together. It's oh, like two man. tastes that don't taste great together. It's peanut butter and salmon. It's peanut butter and anything. It's, peanut butter doesn't go with anything. <laughs> peanut butter fucking sucks. And I'll say this right now. Fuck peanut butter. <laughs> All right, you're making a lot of enemies tonight, let me tell you. <laughs> Yeah, it's All right. again. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'll just so it's fucking so funny, dark. It's so, so funny dark. to me that we take so different things from this. Because again, everyone's got that. Okay, so 
if you think about, you know, I can hear my children's cry, I can see the tears in their eyes, memories of those left behind. That's an internal monologue, right? I mean, I think that goes on anytime we, as parents, you know, you've got a couple of kids, you've got a couple of girls, I've got a couple of girls. Anytime you go away, you sort of always think about what would happen if I, you know, if my plane went down or what would happen if something happened to them while I'm away or whatever. Regardless, I think that the tone of the situation that you're in, you know, you've just finished a, a 33-hour telethon. There's elation in that. And that's what this is to me, that, you know, it's that, ju- again, I'm using that fucking stupid shitty word, that juxtaposition of situation and emotion. The two different things, and they're telling both of those things at the same time. And I think that's actually the, not say genius is a, a word that's banded around a lot, but that's what the genius of this song to me. Because I think it's actually a complex story, not a simple one. Kevin, electroshock therapy only sounds scary. You should kind of look into it. When I'm thinking about my children, I'm not feeling good about life while I'm thinking about them crying. That's just sick. And I'm thinking, about, oh, Jesus, what if they died? It's a little dark, my friend. I think you need to talk to somebody. Oh, you can't compartmentalize. Ah, no, I wish I don't, I don't know the meaning of the word. <laughs> Literally, explain it to me. Well, I no, can be it's... very, I can be, I can be very sad about hedgehogs dying and still enjoy a tasty hedgehog steak. You know, they're two different things. You know, <laughs> not so much when it comes to the kids. What I'm saying is that <laughs> this big elation moment should happen at 7:45, okay, not at 5:45 when we're still talking about crying children and dead friends. You know, you should have that moment at 7:45 when they're driving the last spike and finally completing this god awful railroad that took out so many of his friends. Yeah, but life is such a journey, Corey, and you, it's not defined by one moment in time. There are several uh, waypoints along the way that uh, you know, define who we are as people. And uh, I don't fucking know what I'm talking about. I don't, why am I doing that voice? What the fuck is that? I don't know. What, what, what was, was that your pretentious Tony voice? That's my BBC Radio 4 voice, I think, maybe. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, my next time is actually the driving the last spike moment. Did you have anything before then? Okay. I do, but fuck it. Okay. <laughs> I just want to get this over with. Get this fucking podcast over with so I can just tell you to go to hell. (laughs) He even got a sunburn. Like, come on. (laughs) They didn't have sunscreen back in those days, Kevin. Let's let's say this though. Is this a visual song for you, Corey? Like, do you see what this? Like, do you see the story in your mind's eye when you listen to this, or is it just sort of? Is it a bit muddy? Or I'm I'm sure you get that right with different songs. Yeah. And and that's kind of the problem. I listen to a song like uh, "Home by the Sea," and I can close my eyes, and the music and the lyrics work together oh, in okay. concert to make a complete experience. Here, okay. I have two separate things that are kind of fighting each other a little bit. It's a little bit of a Zack Snyder uh, film. If you want to talk a a film comparison, Zack Snyder uh, would be an immensely talented painter or photographer. He can frame a shot. He can't tell a story to save his life. (laughs) Those are two elements of filmmaking that fight against him. To to me, this song has two great elements that fight against each other a little bit, even though as we get to the end of the song, that's when it starts meshing better for me. So what we're saying is that we're going to get 10 for music, 10 for lyrics, 0.5 production because... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> fuck everything else right no that it, it, honestly seriously i mean i i totally get that i mean i'm don't i don't agree with it in the sense of it's not how it makes me feel but 
Uh, yeah, you, yeah, you articulated yourself very well, sir. Yeah. All right. Uh, was there anything uh, more in this one, Kev? Or? Let me look. Oh, yeah. 8.33. Let's listen to... We drop everything back and then play through about, I don't know, about 30 seconds or something because there's a vocal that filled us here that I think is one of those sort of, you know, sort of career-high vocals that we, when, if you're in the studio and you do that, you think, yeah, I fucking nailed that one. That's a really, really, really good bit of vocal work. I mean, Phil Collins, you know, we know from like Mama, he can really crack and do the the, the big push thing, the big rock and roll vocal. He can do that stuff that we had in the middle of this song where he's in his lower register and he's kind of taking it back. That really clean delivery with no vibrato where you're just holding that note and there's no fucking auto-tune here. But in 1991, Phil Collins is not being auto-tuned. That's just really crystal clear, brilliant singing. I we're in total agreement on that one. So, uh, driving the last spike, Kevin Brown, why don't you kick us off here? Uh, I'm I'm guessing five, five, and three. Guess again. Uh, guess, I'm just, okay. Guess guess seriously, because I, I think you know what I'm going to say. Ten, and ten, and five. A ten, ten, and five. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Because I think it's oh man. There's one other song on this record that stops it from being my favorite song from this album. Um. It's like a, I think it might be in my top 10 Genesis songs. Oh, wow. I don't know. Um, musically, there's movement. There's little little things that go on. There's good transitions, good sections. It's 10 minutes, but it never. I don't think it feels pedestrian or overlong. Like you said, though, you don't feel the sort of the narrative flow of it, but I don't think it's boring. It's not a, it's not a movie that you would say, oh, fuck, I'm leaving after half an hour because fuck this. Mm-hmm. You just don't necessarily think that it is particularly well written or composed. I think it's sublime. Um, it's one of, musically, I think it's one of their perfect songs. Lyrically, you know what? Maybe Tony and Mike should have let Phil write more of the long songs because this is the first long song that Phil wrote. And I think it's a totally force. I'll outright say, I think it's Phil Collins' best lyric that he ever wrote as, as a Genesis, uh, member of Genesis or as a solo artist. Um, and I think that we talked earlier a little bit about because of experience, his experience with Buster, and because he was very involved in that movie, I think he kind of got better at working out narrative and character. Um, and it really comes in, you know, perfectly in the song. Production-wise, I could live with, I could live with this being sixteen minutes. I could live with three more verses telling the story of these people, and I would never get sick of it. Now, ten, ten, and five for me. I know that this is going to be nowhere near for you, and I'm bracing myself. And I'm sort of, I'm, I'm balustrading myself against disappointment and rage, maybe. <laughs> What's this for you, Corey? Well, why don't you guess? You made me guess for your scores. Why okay. don't you give a, a, an honest, serious guess on what my okay. scores are? I think I would say probably, it's, it's difficult because I, what you said is that they don't mesh. So I don't think you dislike the music or the lyrics. I think your production could be down. So I'll, I'll go for eight, eight, and three. Okay. Eight, eight, and three. You're you're not far off. If I would have been under five on any, would you have been like really, really mad? Like on lyrics and music? Yeah. I'd be amazed. 
Well, I wasn't there. Music, I gave it a seven. Okay. Uh, a very solid seven. Like there, there, there's some very lovely moments here. The band obviously sounds great. Um, uh, when I, if I'm comparing this song to a movie, uh, you mentioned like it. You said for you, it didn't feel its length. It was never boring. I okay. agree with that. It, it wasn't the Justice League, especially <laughs> Zack Snyder's Justice League, which is still just a slightly better version of a shitty movie. That feels its length. <laughs> to me, this this song is the musical equivalent of The Irishman. All right, it, it's a good story. It's well told, but it feels too long. So it does feel wow. its length a little bit for me because those okay. those uh, clashing forces, uh, if, if it totally worked for me, like like some of their other long songs like Domino, I wouldn't feel its length at all. But for me, I was kind of fighting against that a little bit. So I got a seven for me for music lyrics. I gave it an eight. Uh, Phil is telling a great story, but again, doesn't match the, the music uh, at all. But uh, narratively, if you're just looking at the lyrics, telling a hell of a story. 100 yeah. percent like um his one of his best lyrics um i'm it's not even the best lyric on this side i still like jesus he knows me uh much better uh, i would even don't set a mind i would put you know right in kind of comparison with this one i think i gave that one an eight and a half didn't i for lyrics so i like that one a little bit better than oh, i did this maybe, one yeah just because there's you know c conflicting things and you know you, you got to be on the same page. And then uh, production, I gave it 3.5. Because, yeah, I, I was I was a little nicer on that one. Oh, are you mad at that? I thought that's not <laughs> oh, too man. bad. I, uh, yeah. Well, I mean, okay. Of course, because of what you said, actually, should, probably you should have been lower. Mm -hmm. Because I think that if it's that jarring, I mean, okay, you're not going to criticize the sound, right? Because it sounds, yeah. it's recorded like, you know, we should. That's a five. Uh, the whole album, oh, like I you mean, said. Take totally, that out of the equation, yeah. 100%. If it's overlong, if the clash is there, if you think that some of the transitions have been repetitive, all those things, I would have expected to be lower, but 3.5, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, it's there's not average. a single, not a single note I would change in this. So. Yeah. Oh, see, I have several. But again, <laughs> it, it, and, and not from a musical standpoint, musically, yeah. if this was an instrumental, I would have given it much higher. Except oh, really? for an inch, except for an inch, you don't want a ten minute instrumental though. That's just Tony jerking off on the piano. Oh yeah, you do, of course. <laughs> you're a, you're a wanker, but everybody knows that. But so I, I wasn't too hard on it. Seven, eight, and three and a half. It was where I landed yeah, on this one. I'm, I'm okay it's with that. It, it's the Irishman. <laughs> it's decent. Uh, I'm glad I saw it. Uh, if I'm really really bored and my only other option is Justice League, I'm going to pop on uh, the Irishman again because for four hours, you know, it's it's too fucking long. And it, it feels its length. And there's conflicting things in The Irishman like there are in this film, but it's well made. It's well told. Uh, it's definitely worthy of a spot uh, on this record. The, uh, say, okay, well, I'll, I've never seen The Irishman. Um, oh, it's not bad. It's not bad. Four it's hours. the driving the last spike. Yeah, it's four hours long. Yep. Yeah, I'm not going to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch it on Netflix, actually, they, they split it up into like four different parts, I think. So it's a little more palatable that oh, way. Oh, my Lord. That's a, is, is that a... Who who directed Scorsese? That? Oh, Martin okay. Scorsese. Yeah. Oh, well, who just put out another three and a half movie, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, that's uh, opening this weekend. So you know, it's ironic that he tends to criticize um, big fun movies, movies, right? Yeah, he doesn't <laughs> like big action movies. It's like, dude, yeah. you can trim some fat off this fucking movie you're putting out, man. You know, <laughs> especially yeah. The Irishman. Like you watch that and you're like, you you couldn't cut an hour out of this fucking thing, are you kidding? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, pretty good side A mm -hmm. for We Can't Dance. Uh, my uh, averages uh, for this uh, side are uh, eight for music, nine for lyrics, four and a half for production. 
So very, very, very solid. And it, just a couple things in driving the last spike that kept it from being one of the highest rated uh, sides uh, in the Phil Collins discography. It's funny, eh? Because we we go through this and we we disagree. You know, sometimes fairly significantly on certain aspects of certain songs. But it's weird that we always seem to end up converging on very similar overall scores for sides of albums. So I'm like an 8.5 for music. Again, a 10 for lyrics. I think I could make a really good argument this is the best side of any record that Phil Collins ever wrote lyrically. Um, And then 4.5, both 4.5 productions. So 23 for me on this one. Um, Again, I mean, I'm sentimentally attached to this, this record and especially the side of this record. So, yeah. I tell you, great start uh, for Genesis uh, live. Uh, sorry, live. Great start for Genesis's uh, last record uh, with with Phil Collins uh, in the band. Uh, but we got side B coming up next, and uh, we're kicking off with a heavy hitter. I can't wait to get into that one. We're going to save that for the next show, aren't we? We are. But before we go, Corey, we got some business. All right. We got to play, and then there were three. Oh shit! Was it my turn? Because I didn't get anything ready. It's my turn. We'll we'll pause okay. in between, and you can do if you want to. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. So this is where we play a game where I give Corey, or Corey gives me, um, the names of three bands or artists, including Genesis, and we have to put them in order of monthly listeners on Spotify. So your three today or this week, Corey, are mm-hmm. Eurythmics, okay, Genesis, obviously, and Lenny Kravitz. All right. This is interesting. I'm going to go Genesis first. Okay. I'm not, and then I'm going to go Eurythmics and then Lenny Kravitz third. You, I've, I mean, the first time in the history of us doing this that you failed on every front. Wow. Look at me go. Yeah. I mean, spectacular. And that's, a, that's an achievement. So Eurythmics first. I should not do this show sober. <laughs> Eurythmics first at 12.02. Lenny Kravitz at 10.72 and Genesis at 7.09, which, you know, I was actually kind of surprised about Eurythmics, to be honest with you. I thought that Lenny would be higher than Eurythmics just because he's more current. Mm -hmm. Um, And Eurythmics are sort of, you know what, it probably is his sweet dreams. Um, (laughs) Just accounts for about half of their downloads, so. Yeah, good call. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, Join us again next week when we're going to look at side two or side B, I guess, because we've got A, B, C, and D, of uh, We Can't Dance. Check us out on social media at Ultimate Catalog Clash on Facebook and You Catalog Clash on Twitter. And uh, I'm still not on threads, Corey. We're, I've got to get on threads. And maybe Blue Sky? Is that a thing? There's all what, sorts what the of fuck different is that? social media. I, I don't know what's going on. I, I always have people saying, do you want a Blue Sky code? It sounds like an <laughs> STD. I'm like, no. <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> the fuck's Blue STD Sky? Code. It's the new it's the new tweets. It's the new Twitter. Uh, but check out my other shows, uh, the Tom Petty Project and Seaside Pod Review. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm Kebra in Canada. Corey, tell the people where they can find you in all the things, the many things you do, the consumer of podcasts, the uh, the head of the CMPU, and what on earth do you have coming up? Oh, let's see. You can find me at CD Morset on uh, Twitter. Uh, sometimes on Instagram. I don't really post on there, but I have an account for some reason. Am I on threads? I don't know. I don't even know what the fuck Blue Sky was. Uh, but you can uh, catch uh, and the podcast will rock at www.podcastwillrock.com. Get yourself some merch. Check out some Van Halen tunes. I also do a show with Scott Haskin called Backtracks Aerosmith Revisited, uh, which is a lot of fun. Scott's going to be here in a few weeks. I can't wait for that. Uh, when I feel like it, we do a show with John Mariano too called uh, Backtracks Theme Music. So 
uh, that that's where you can find me. Uh, please uh, don't come yell at me because I did enjoy driving the last bike. Uh, Kevin's going to take care of that for all of you once we log off here today. Okay, folks, tune in next week. Side B. We've only got three more sides of this record to go, and then we're going to be wrapping up the album. <laughs>